Welcome to the New Media Show. My name is Todd Cochran, and of course, we're doing this live from Podcast Movement Evolutions, as live as it can be. And for those of you that are joining us via podcasts, make sure you get over to newmediashow.com, follow or subscribe to the show. Of course, Rob, uh, here we are once again. Why don't you do the honors as you normally do and introduce yeah. our guest? Yeah, it's great to be back at uh, Podcast Movement Evolutions in Las Vegas. Um, so it's, it's exciting. Um, I've got some terrific um, guests with us on stage here. So uh, the the conference has been terrific as usual, and, and it's great to have a couple of, um, of ladies on stage that have been doing some amazing things in the podcasting space, um, and hopefully we can dig deep into these topics. But uh, I've got Ariel Nissenblatt, who's here, um, who's the head of content and community for Squadcast and the founder of the Earbuds Podcast Collective. So, Ariel, thanks for stepping up to the stage. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah. <laughs> and so I also have a new uh, Barqua uh, who's here. Also, she's the CTO and founder of She Economy. So it's, it's a fairly new, I know Anu has been working on this project of building a listening platform for global uh, listening w uh, for women around the world. So we're, we're going to learn all about that today. So thanks for joining, joining Thanks us. for having yeah. me. So as tradition is, as we normally when we record this show, we, we don't have an agenda. But today at this well, event... we kind of do. We do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Rob has come up with some topics for us to, to discuss. And, you know, uh, yesterday during uh, James Cridlin's uh, presentation, he was talking about how YouTube, YouTube, YouTube is, seems to be the buzz. But I keep, like every time James said YouTube, I said, James, add YouTube music because it's not going to be YouTube. So I guess what we want to talk a little bit is about YouTube's entry into audio podcasting via YouTube music and why should podcasters care about this and where do you think this is going to go? Ariel, I know you just had them in at the Hot Pod event, so what was your take? I think that, I still don't think every podcaster needs to be on YouTube. I, I think not even most podcasters need to be on YouTube, especially until we know more. And I think a lot of people are going to hear these announcements and it's going to make them say, shit, you know, my one takeaway is that I need to be on YouTube. I need to be recording video for my podcast. And I work at Squadcast, and I love video. We have video enabled. But I don't think it's sustainable for most creators to be making video. Most, most creators don't have the ability to make high-quality video in addition to the high-quality audio that they might not even have mastered yet. So while I think it is an opportunity, and I can get into that in a little bit, I think right off the bat I want to dispel the idea that you must have video. But at the same time, the key point I try to keep making is this is not YouTube. This is YouTube music, which is a completely separate platform that, far as I know, or do not interconnect. If you're on YouTube, you cannot find stuff that's on YouTube music. You have to use a separate app. Is that correct or am I wrong? It still works that if you search on YouTube, you will find what you're looking for. That will be in yeah. YouTube music. Yeah, that's... Yeah. That's uh, cross-linking um, to music. It's still yet to be um, known whether or not they're going to do that with podcasting. Yeah, I don't so, think we know enough yet, right. which yeah. is yeah. An, an opportunity, we'll say. <laughs> so I know they also talked about, during the presentation, there was going to be this ability to switch from audio to video, depending on which you had for an availability and pick up where you left off. You know, this show's been on YouTube for many, many years, because we, you know, we do this live. So I'm kind of curious on how, because we don't know this issue. They've been pretty quiet on what they're actually going to do. So right. that's, I think there's a lot of unknown. Yeah, it's still early, I think. Uh, my perception, I talked to the team at Hot Pod, because you know, you know, Ariel and I were both there. And um, I think they're still trying to formulate how they're going to enter the podcasting market. Um, 
they want to utilize their existing technology, which is what they utilize with the, the YouTube music platform as well as YouTube, which is they host all of the content, right? So they would be the only platform that I'm aware of that would be re-hosting all the podcasts. Uh, and, and that's a challenge for the podcasting industry because the industry wants to increasingly monetize via dynamic ad insertion, whether it be programmatic or just host-read, pre-recorded, you know, ads that are inserted in the content. And if YouTube's going to capture a, they're going to download one episode, um, that could be a little bit of a mess. Um, there could be ads in there that are embedded and, and then YouTube wants to sell ads on top of that. So uh, I think that there are some challenges that YouTube has to address um, in, in how they roll this out. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a little bit up in the air right now. So, yeah. And another thing, it's just like Spotify, when they launched podcasting, they still, on the Spotify music side for the music artists, they still have to pay royalties because they're obligated to under the copyright law whereas podcasters are not afforded that same protection and get nothing. So you have the same situation now on YouTube Music where they're obligated to pay music artists, but they're not obligated to pay podcasters anything, even though they say they're going to let us participate. Um, are they going to make us have 4,000 listen hours a year before they let us monetize? But. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> but the thing is, in YouTube Music, they pay immediately. So would it make sense? I think it would be smart of them if they did allow rev share from the beginning. I don't know. I knew, I, what, have you had any thoughts on any of this with YouTube, about YouTube coming into the place or into the marketplace? Um, so it, my, my focus has really been um, just getting content from whatever platform hasn't affected me at all where it's coming from for the most part. Um, we're an aggregator, so from that standpoint, if um, it's if we can use it in, in some of our virtual sessions or if we can use it in our newsletters and so on and so forth, um, that doesn't change our our dynamic in any way at the moment. But for now, like it hasn't hasn't been an issue. And I think too is the uncertainty is causing a lot of discussion. We're probably spending as much time talking about what they're going to do or what we think we're going to, they're going to do, and yet they've been very, very close lip on the full details of everything. Yeah, and I think something that we need to look out for is, and this happens in podcast marketing, this happens in content marketing, this happens in every every sphere of the internet is gurus who think they know about things, but they don't actually know about anything yet. Right. So I think that we don't know anything and it's fun to speculate but um, until we know more until we like get some yeah. documents from YouTube from Google about how to best use this and um, I think it's going to be speculation so I, I, I encourage folks to watch out for people who are like here's how to succeed on YouTube music for podcasts we don't know yet <laughs> yeah, and I kind of harken back to how Spotify entered the podcasting medium in contrast to what YouTube is doing here, and I can see some similarities um, in how they entered the market. When Spotify started to enter the market, they didn't really know what they were doing either. Uh, and they were figuring out, they were talking to the, the, you know, the leaders in the industry, trying to f um, come up with a strategy of how to enter the market. You know, Todd was involved in that, I was involved with that. And, and they, they wound up figuring it out, but it took you know, I think it took like three years before Spotify kind of got even remotely it right, you know. Um, so that could be the path we see with YouTube, but I do get a sense that they, they're on a fast start here, um, but I'm not sure that the, it's going to go smoothly for them. It's, it's comical, too, because we had written internally at, the, at my company a, a best practice document for those who were entering the space, and we had get that document had grown over the years, but we had given that document to Spotify and other players that were coming on and saying, "Here, here's what we have seen, and things have gotten screwed up in the past, and some th ways you can." It was basically a free marketing, you know, suggestion document or basically, you know, best practice document. And uh, I'd sure like to give that to YouTube. So if they're listening, uh, happy to send that over. But I, I think the caching issue is going to be uh, going to be a big concern, but. Anyway, yeah. we'll see what happens. 
But that's not to take away from the opportunity, I, I think, that's growing in at least creators' perceptions of, of doing more video with their podcasts. And, and, you know, we're seeing, you know, Squadcast is a, is a terrific, you know, example of a platform as well as, you know, the Riverside platform and, and, um, and StreamYard or whatever of content creators really using these type of platforms to create their shows because they're increasingly making uh, pretty darn good audio through those platforms too. You know, what's your thought on that, Ariel? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think when creators sit down to record, whether it's with one guest, two guests, up to 10 in a session at Squadcast, they're also recording high-quality video and they can choose to do with that video what they want. Sometimes it's creating short clips. Sometimes it's maybe uploading that entire thing to YouTube. And I will say that I think whatever YouTube music for podcasts or YouTube becomes for podcasts, um, I think that there's, you know, you really can just upload a um, static image, right? And maybe some transcriptions, maybe some cute wordings that pop across the screen. And I, I want to dispel another rumor that I heard, which is that um, the algorithm favors when there are multiple, like, they don't like static images. That's, that's a rumor. Myth busted, though, because you know what the algorithm likes? Go ahead. Well, that's how it works, so I can't imagine they wouldn't like it, right? Sorry, you think that it is how it works? Well, no, I think that, you know, YouTube set up this whole publishing to YouTube via the API with audio, right? And it right. generates a video right. and stuff, and that's, that's kind of how I think they've recommended that we do it. If they're de-emphasizing it in right. their algorithm, then that's kind of YouTube's fault because they probably have an opinion that maybe that experience isn't what they want. But yet that's what they want all of us to do. So. You know, I yeah. think, I don't know what their main goal is, though. Is it, is it volume? Do they want every podcaster to be also publishing on YouTube or is it high qualities? Do they want to, when you go to youtube.com slash podcast, is it, should it be only thumbnails that are beautiful and from creators who are, or is it going to be like more of a, an organic, we don't know yet, I think is what I'm coming down to. Yeah. But I, but I think with the, with the myth, with the myth busting, I think, I think it all comes back to you should do what is best for your production and your budget and your resources and test and experiment. And if things are going well, double down, and if they are not, take a break, come back in three months when we know more. We do know that some of the traditional YouTube video uh, metrics are basically publish every week, be consistent, try to get your listeners all the way to the end of the content, viewers, because they really look at that on the YouTube side. So we'll see, I'm sure there's going to be gurus out there after YouTube Music launches with podcasting in it. I'm sure everyone's going to have 25 different formulas to succeed and be brought to the top and discovery and all that. It's going to be, it's going to be kind of fun to watch. So we did see a little bit of a glimpse of a, of a partnership with a, a company in the podcasting space with the deal that uh, Lipson did uh, to get data back uh, off of the YouTube video side um, back into Lipson so you could see the, the counts of the plays uh, because increasingly the industry is selling um, YouTube video plays as, as part of their ad packages that they're presenting to brands. So, so this integration of selling YouTube video ads in co combination with audio ads is is something that's been actively happening in the medium for, for a while now. So I think this data connection of actually getting data and metrics out of YouTube uh, about the video plays as we increasingly move towards more shows doing video in combination with audio. But there's a little bit of a myth going on a little bit with podcasting. I just wanted to say this just because we're on this topic. But you know, I think there's been research that's come out that said that um, YouTube is the num number two most popular way that people find podcasts. And, and while I think that may be true to some degree, um, my kind of examination of YouTube over the last couple of years, because I watch YouTube a lot, uh, is that many of the shows that people think are podcasts are actually not podcasts on, on YouTube. They're just, they're on a YouTube channel, right? So, um, you know, some of them have put out RSS feeds, um, in, take the audio out of the video, but um, most of the shows on there don't. So, 
you know, it's a little bit of a perception thing that's that's a little off the mark right now. I don't know. What, what do you guys think about yeah, that? Yeah, I think my <clears throat> my goal for 2023 is to get more people who don't listen to any podcast to listen to one podcast because I think it'll help grow the industry, right? I mean, this is... I think we are stuck, and I think we need, we need more listeners, and we need more people who are obsessed with listening, right? Well, we always need more listeners. We always need right, more listeners, right. but let's do it in 2023 is what I'm saying. Let's do it. Charge. <laughs> but the reason I bring it up is because YouTube has the opportunity to grow the Get word podcast. Right. right? Get us more listeners. Yeah. I mean, the way that the dashboard is going to look, you're going to be able to mark things as podcasts. If more people can become aware and comfortable with the word podcast, I don't really care that you, you're not going to like this. I don't really care how they're consuming it. If they think it's a podcast, I don't care. Well, I've always said I don't care where they listen or watch. It's wherever they listen or yeah, watch. I, I, why I mean, is I, this? Is why this this uh, show is on YouTube. So we've been on there for 10 years. We, we don't care where they yeah. discover or watch. I mean, from a listener perspective, yeah, it doesn't care. But from a content creator perspective, I, I think oftentimes we're confusing the content creator about what, what they're actually, what they should be doing, right? Or right. what they want to do and have a clear understanding that if they call their show a podcast, well, you know, it's, they're appealing to the listener, but they're technically not accurate um, from a content creator perspective. Right, but... Yeah. What I think is funny is like I'll I ask my friends all the time who don't work in the podcast space, who barely listen to podcasts, like, do you listen to podcasts, right? And they'll be like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was listening to an audiobook and I'm like, Okay, you know what? I, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care because if you're listening for entertainment, my theory point, is right? that if yeah. you enjoy listening through yep. your ears, consuming content through your ears, and the right podcast yep. hits you at the right time, you will be a podcast listener. So I do not yeah. care that they think an audiobook is a podcast. Well, and also, you know, I think that there, there's another piece to this too, and that's that's the premium content, right? The the paid for content right. has increasingly, I think, in the past was separated by Audible, whatever that that uh, made that available behind a, a paywall. Um, but increasingly what we've seen with the adoption of paid content and podcasting, there's really not a big distinction between what Audible's doing and podcasting now. I have a question right. for all three right. of you. Yeah. Um, for Facebook, uh, during pandemic, right, when Clubhouse got going, didn't they have uh, an audio, like the word, a recording section? Was it podcasting or just like a Clubhouse? Or Do you remember what that was? Yeah. Was it... Well, uh, Facebook attempted <laughs> very to, short. What was that exactly? That's my question. To bring podcasting yeah. into Facebook, and then it quickly went away. And actually, I lost a dollar bet on that uh, situation. <laughs> but um, you know, you can. You know, a lot of people do Facebook Live, record their shows, and engage with their audiences there. Then put their uh, that show out as an audio podcast. So. I think where people are engaging with content, again, I, I think you have to go where your audience is um, because people consume content in different places. And again, I don't care where content creators, I mean, where listeners can, because we can have this technical discussion all day long and the listeners don't care. You know, they just want to consume content. I think that's the key. Yeah. But at the same point, and maybe to switch topics a little bit here, with the decrease in number of new episodes being published every month, uh, being down almost 50% from about July of 2022, we're starting to see this increase in, um, at least here at Blueberry, we're starting to see shows that are seeing significant audience increase largely because listeners have been abandoned by shows and those same listeners are looking for new content so I think it's a great time to be a podcaster because there's huge opportunity because the audience has not left. And it probably goes into the next topic we want to talk about, about the growth of the female podcasters today. And um, I know there was a study that came out that said it was or something like 60, 40. Was, 29%. Yeah. yeah. And, and what's interesting is I as, as we watch new customers come in and actually get started, at least at our company, we're closer to 50-50. Matter of fact, I think the ladies are leading a little bit on content creation. So, Anu, you're, you're in touch with what's going on with the female side of the podcasting space pretty heavily, it looks like. What, what are you seeing? So I, I got, I got jump-started right around uh, lockdown time frame when the great res resignation happened, and I'm sure 
you all know at least one woman who had to stay home and take care of the kids and the family and whatnot, and concessions were being made. And so what we saw back then was a rise in women making content, whether they were writing their books, audiobooks, or making their podcasts. And that's when we got started. And um, my market isn't just the United States. It never has been. It's always been global. So I have seen a large number of women in emerging markets that are now getting into the space. Um, case in point, I just came from the Middle East, from Saudi Arabia. And there's a platform there called Patio. And you can see Arabic content sprouting. And so, you know, you've got women who traditionally don't use mediums like YouTube because they don't want to show their face. Um, and that's fine. But now there's another alternative and they're like, oh, I can do that. That's something easy and I can do this from home. And so I am now focusing on content where everyone can participate. And the other other space that I've been really looking at are low-cost mobile devices. And traditionally, when we talk about podcasts, it's been, what do you have on your iPhone? What do you have on your Android? And if you think about it, many of the women listeners that we might want to have participating can't afford those devices. And so I've been building on low-cost devices, and it's engaging more people and as Ariel was saying, you know, you've got these new listeners coming on YouTube. Uh, I just want them on there. Well, guess what? They don't have Spotify on these phones. They have YouTube. They have, um, they have WhatsApp and so on and so forth. And so let's get them content where they can access it and then talk about, you know, we want more listeners. But I think you're going to see a surge of people wanting to participate, wanting to share their voices. Um, that's coming and largely in markets that haven't been served. You know, I think I was probably as blown away as you were in Riyadh in the just incredible number of women that showed up at an event that was recently held. And, uh, you know, people standing 100 feet deep to get into a sound booth to do a sound check. And, you know, huge numbers of women that are looking to create content and have a voice that largely have not had a voice before. Um, I, I wish I speak Arabic because I'd love to hear some of these stories that's going to come out of the Middle East. I think it's going to be, I think there's going to be a huge groundswell. Um, obviously, men are going to be participating in those markets too, but I think it. you have a point. There is going to be, um, be culturally, I think it's podcasting is, suit, is suited well for those markets to expand uh, greater for women than maybe even men. Yeah, it'd be great, uh, Anu, if you could tell us about the Sheikonomy platform uh, and how it works and what you're doing with it and what your vision is for it. Great. Thank you so much. Um, so when we started, um, we, it, was, it was content, uh, curated content for women, and we didn't discriminate whether you were a new podcast or whether you had 40 million downloads. We just wanted people that had great voices that wanted to share and... Uh, initially when we started, it was during COVID and there were so many women that couldn't read in, in the emerging markets and their primary caregivers. And so we were like, you know, if they don't have the information, what's going to happen to these little kids, you know, in these poor countries and the villages and so on and so forth. So we did it as like a humanitarian response, um, getting content on what is COVID? How do you protect yourself? Um, which then spun out into how do you screen for breast cancer, cervical cancer, which then turned into children's health and financial literacy. And then it was like, well, let's talk about women in tech and let's talk about entrepreneurship because now you have women leaving droves. Um, mental health, which was really important. Meditation, like people can do this from home. And then we're like, oh, well, what about those people that don't speak English? And then it became Spanish, Chinese, uh, we now have Icelandic, we have Swedish, we have Bahasa, we have Tagalog, Tamil, Telugu. Um, and it just, you know, we have probably like 15, 20 languages, which is, you know, it's a starting point. And um, the world that I come from is crypto, blockchain. And when we designed this, um, the intention was, how do you incentivize people to listen? Engagement. I'm not giving you a freebie. 
I'm giving you tokens and I'm giving you digital currency. So every single listener is going to have the opportunity to earn tokens. And these tokens can then be cashed out for food, water, vaccines, tampons, pink tax that we've all like had to deal with our whole lives. Um, but also will be able to be converted into other forms of digital assets. And I'm in the process of launching that digital currency right now. But in the meantime, we've just been focusing on the content. So you've all seen me at conferences during COVID, wandering around, like trying to understand the space. We've now just partnered with ACAST, signed a, signed a, um, uh, license agreement to share their content. We have about 5,000 podcasts by female uh, podcasters around the world. We do not discriminate. If you have awesome podcasts targeting female entrepreneurs or something around breast cancer or something around, you know, like, I don't know, in vitro fertilization or something, please share your podcast. We're happy to share it. Um, but know that now we are on $10 mobile devices in 195 countries on KaiOS. We're the only one that's done it, like at this scale, focused on women. Um, and it's interesting when you say that, most people here probably don't even have any idea what you're talking about. Kai, what, Kai what? Kai OS? Yeah. So maybe you can go into that a little deeper for people that are listening later so they understand about this operating system that is on these low-cost devices. Sure. So KaiOS um, is like Android. It's like uh, Apple iOS. You've all probably heard of that. Um, it's, it's, it's what we normally use. But um, in order for dumb phones to work, the, the Nokias and the Vodafones that we all had before Apple came out with the smartphone, that's where I'm building because half the world's population living on $2 a day still uses those phones. They don't have a data plan. They, they need something very simple. And Reliance Geo, this is breaking news. I don't know if I could share it here. Yeah? Okay. Um, uh, Reliance Geo in India is the largest telecom uh, player. They just built the 5G network all over India. This was announced back in August. And they have what's called uh, GeoNext and GeoSDB. It's kind of like Apple Play. So we just built Shikonomy on television sets. So in villages where you have like schools out in the middle of, you know, like the, the, this main square under a tree, we can stick a television set and they can listen, learn, and earn tokens. Um, so that's what we've been building with Shikonomy. It's taking it to the next level. You know, it's, we all just automatically think we all have connectivity. And this has been a challenge even in Africa for getting content in. And, you know, there was discussions not too many years ago where people are taking podcasts and distributing them via CDs still at that time. Oh, wow. So now that you're building this into these lower price phones, it just opens up this huge, huge swath of new listeners that are going to have access to this content. So I, congratulations. I think, it's, I think it's a very exciting time. Thank you. Just at the beginning, it feels like every day. <laughs> So what can podcasters do to participate in your program? What's the pathway for them to get your, get their shows if they're a female creator? But it's not exclusively just female creators. It's, it's content that will help females. Right? Absolutely. It's female-focused. Right. So I want to be very um, clear. It's female-centric or female-focused. You can be anybody. It doesn't matter. Um, if you're going to elevate women, we love you. We want you to be a part of what we're creating. Um, and we've had so many men on the tech side, I can't even tell you. Like, I call them up all kinds of weird hours, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll fix it, we'll help you, including him. He was, like, the very first one. Rob Greenlee, I would call him all the time and be like, what do I do now, what do I do now? Um, so, yeah, we, we are, are very friendly to everybody. Um, reach out, and if you have an RSS feed, um, we'll go through it because we want people... Um, to be inspiring for our young women and girls, first of all. If you send me anything misogynistic, I will not accept it. I'll just put that out there on the table. Joe Rogan, you are not welcome, ever. Um, I can say that because this is my platform and I don't have to listen to anyone. Um, so you get the idea. Just reach out and we're looking for partnerships and collaborations and I'll be reaching out to you very soon. Um, we just finished our geo platform, geo build yesterday at five in the morning, which is why I did not come to your party. I was like 
dead. Um, but the good news is that now we can actually form partnerships where if podcasters are like, look, I want to get my contact out the, uh, content out there and have some impact in underserved, underrepresented, marginalized communities, we're looking for you. And it's free to send your RSS. If you want to support, be a part, be a member, there's a membership. It's $275 a year, much cheaper than going on Facebook ads. But we'll meta tag you and give you lots of love if you come. Thank you. Awesome. So, Ariel, you've been in this space quite a while now. So how do you think the ladies are doing not only in podcasting but in professional roles in the space? I'm encouraged by more and more creators starting podcasts. Um, but that doesn't solve the problem for getting those podcasts heard, you know? You know, there's going to be a lot of people who are inspired at Podcast Movement to start a show or, you know people walking around chatting at a bar and then somebody goes up to them and says, you should start a podcast and they might start a podcast and the podcast might be great. It also might be horrible and people <laughs> might not want to listen to it. Um, so I don't know. I think I'm encouraged by, by the idea that more and more women and non-binary folks are, are gender non-conforming are, are creating and are, are understanding that this is a great way to get your voice heard. I'm encouraged by that, but I also really want more listeners. And I don't know how to solve that. Um, and I think, I mean, a lot of it comes down to education. You know, there are a lot of people who make a show because they think they have a great concept and they don't know that they should maybe be breaking their content up into seasons or here's the way to pitch to Apple and Spotify and Stitcher and here's a way to actually create a, a long-standing relationship with Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher so that you're not just pitching blindly and hoping for the best. So there's no manual, you know, when you start a podcast for here are all the things you can do. Yes, you can follow people on Twitter. Yes, you can subscribe to Pod News. Yes, you can listen to this show. Uh, and those will help, but it's, it's a problem that I think needs to get solved somehow. Um, it's just an education play. But women making podcasts... Um, and, and getting their voices out there, I think is important. And then what, another thing that comes to me is I still encounter people who say, ah, you know, I, 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 I think I have a great story to tell, but I just don't think anybody wants to hear it. Or, um, I don't like the way my voice sounds or that kind of thing. It is really shocking that that's still happening. Um, but uh, I have, uh, not everybody needs a podcast, on the other hand. Um, some stories don't lend themselves to audio. Some, some can be told in one-off episodes that you might be able to pitch to another podcast and they might get more, um, you know, more traction there. So I, I, I think um, the idea of everybody needs to have a podcast is good for places like, for podcast hosting sites, for places like Squadcast, but it's not sustainable. You know what I mean? And like, I think at Squadcast, I want to help people make great shows so that they feel encouraged to continue paying for Squadcast. You know what I mean? Your, your show needs to get traction in order for you to justify using Squadcast. Right. Yeah, I've always thought that the, the ideal scenario is that the content creation will follow the, the amount of listeners, right? It, it'll naturally create a balance, right? Um, and I think during the pandemic, we saw this big spike in new shows, um, but the listenership actually during that time went down. So, so we saw a little bit of an example of the creation and the listening side kind of getting out of whack, right? And I do think that over the last uh, year or so, we've seen it kind of get more in balance again, right? Uh, but but your point is is well taken about growing listeners, and that's always been the key here. And if it is possible that you know getting in with YouTube tighter and working more with them, and I, it raises a much bigger question: Are there barriers to listeners yes. um, that exist <laughs> that we can all, as an industry, work on and and um, change? Can I can I share an yeah, announcement? Yeah. Okay. So I haven't, um, I work with Lauren Passell, who has a company called Tink Media. Um, we help some clients do audience development work. And um, we have, in April, we have an event that we're working on. It's actually for the whole month of April. I have not cleared it with her if I should be announcing this yet. But Lauren, I hope you're happy that maybe Breaking you'll, news here. Yeah, you'll get you. some, some new people interested. April is going to be Adopt a Listener Month. And we are working on tons of initiatives to help people go from zero to one. 
So is that like a listener mentorship program? Is that it what this is, is. It's many fold. <laughs> One thing that we're doing, this is like the gimmicky part of it. We're making adoption certificates that you can print out and like you can put it up in your room and say, I, I adopted a listener. <laughs> but also Lauren and I are going to like go to Union Square in New York and do man on the street interviews of like, what do you listen to? Why do you listen to it? Why don't you listen? Here's a recommendation for you. But we're also like really trying to normalize that audio can be a great way to get content into your brains, you know? So if there's a story that you're interested in learning in, or if you love knitting, or if you love, I don't know, something specific that I can't think of off the top of my head, and you normally would seek out a YouTube video on that, why not seek out a podcast? Why not build it into your routine, at least for April? Why not try going on a walk and listening to that show? Um, or, you know, hanging out in your house and listening to that show, knitting while you listen to that show. So it's going to be um, interviews. We're pitching ourselves to be featured on podcasts to talk about Adopt-A-Listener Month. We're doing a massive pre-roll, mid-roll, and post-roll campaign that we're going to offer audio clips to people to share on their show. Hey, um, did you know that April is Adopt-A-Listener Month? That kind of thing. Um, and then man on the street interviews that we're going to make into cute little TikTok videos, hopefully go viral. <laughs> and then, you know, whatever it takes, because I think... I think the whole industry will benefit. I want to you know, help you. Okay. You know, I think sometimes podcasters in general can be their own worst enemies. I, I listen to over 100 new shows every two weeks. <clears throat> and the one thing I continue to fail to hear podcasters ask their audiences to recommend their show to their friends, families, people that think that that would be good audience members. They say, make sure you follow or subscribe in their show. And I'm like, well, they're already following or subscribe because they're listening right now. Shouldn't the pitch be share this show with your friends and family members, people that you know, people that you think should listen to this? So I think sometimes we, we fail to realize that we need to ask our audience to help grow our audiences, number one. Number two, horrible, horrible, horrible episode titles. Number three, horrible descriptions on their show notes. And so oftentimes I continue to say this, and I've said it for many, many years. I don't think we have a podcast discovery program. We have a really Google search problem. And an audience problem. And I think a lot of people start a show based on ego. I want to start this show because I want this show. Did you ask if anybody wants that show? You know, who is the built-in audience for right. that? Yeah. And, and, I approach the podcaster in a little different different angle. I say, what's the goal yeah. of the show? That's a nicer way of saying it. <laughs> what's, what's the goal? And if you're creating content within the show to meet the goal, then I think that's a, a big key. But again, if we go back to building listeners, it's our job as content creators to make sure we're asking our listeners to share our stories with other people so that we can, or suggest a different podcast. It doesn't have to be the one that, is ours. It could be a different one. I also got some good advice from Tom Webster on this, which is if you are trying to recommend somebody a podcast and you're thinking to ask them what are their hobbies, right? So that you can recommend something specific that they might love. Tom Webster was like, don't, don't get cute about it. Recommend the things that are guaranteed hits. This American Life, 99% Invisible, The Moth are all shows that have spurred generations of listeners for a reason. They're good shows, you know? And, like, if you can get used to listening to something like that, you might seek out something else. <clears throat> I'm yeah, going to go ahead, Rob. I mean, I agree with that. I think there are shows that have, you know, global appeal, right, uh, across um, all sorts of uh, segments of the population. And that is one way to get people connected. All we got to do is get you know, more people listening to one series, right? And then that gets them hooked because all the research has always said that once somebody starts listening to podcasts, they become super passionate about it, right? It's just getting them in. And I think, too, in going back to talking about um, the growth of, of women in podcasting or non-binary, all those subtitles, um, I think what we're starting to see, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but women that are creating content now are now starting to move into leadership positions in podcasting. Right. I've seen we're significant. Yeah. Do you feel we're making good progress there? I forgot to answer the second part of your question, but it's yeah. a very important one. Um, I think so. I mean, if I am an example of anything, I started not knowing anybody in the podcast space. I just really wanted to 
be, work in audio in some way. And Both I of you worked are my good way examples out. of that. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not in the C-suite, but I hope to be one day, whether it's a company that I start or for some other company, who knows? Um, yeah, I think, I think the more women that there are making waves, the more, and this is, a, this is a problem, not just across podcasting, but it's leadership in general, um, in the U.S. is what I can speak to. But yeah, I mean, I think the more women and people who are not men, um, start working in these places and assert themselves and it becomes more and more normal for women to not just have an opinion but also to be wrong sometimes and be okay and not get fired for being wrong or not like be looked down upon for being wrong. To, to be able to experiment and maybe get that experiment wrong, men can do that all the time and then it's still okay. The more that women can do that, the more women will eventually be given more and more chances and the more it will happen. So yes, I do think slowly but surely it is happening in audio. It's important, I think, in this space that we call things out when we see them. I've been really encouraged by that in this um, in this area of media as opposed to other ones, the new media market. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, that's how I look at it. How about you? So when I when I started Sheconomy, um, I had already been working in. Uh, in media, been doing social media, I was doing events in a platform called Women Investing in Women Digital. And we did large conferences um, around women's entrepreneurship, women investing. And we um, moved into radio uh, back in 2015, ended up creating a show called Women Investing in Women and Girls. And this was uh, done with Voice America in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And my co-host was 14. My producer was my nanny. My two-and-a-half-year-old would say, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us in the little That's awesome. stroller. That's awesome. And every Saturday, we would interview UN women, UNICEF, Princess Rima of Saudi Arabia with her daughter, um, Maud Olofsson, former deputy prime minister of Sweden with her granddaughter. So we got these women leaders to talk to the girls. And what we saw was our listenership went from 50,000 Facebook followers to 950,000 Facebook followers because people were tuning in, not just to listen to women leaders, but these girls as leaders. And, and I think the real, the real um, great greatness that's going to come out of this, like seeing more women step into the audio industry, is that now you have role models for our girls. And that's a whole game changer. And I see them being more confident now, stepping up. And um, many of the women that Shikonomy has worked with for our original productions are leaders in the space. And they were like, oh, now we can do our own podcast and you can teach us how. And so they just didn't know how. And I'm going to see more of this coming now that we have the apps are done. Um, but yeah, like we need mentors. And I'm putting this call out there to the men in the industry. Please do help us because... Everyone's looking at, you know, us to say, what do we do and how do we do it? Like, we need a way forward. And I think they just need a chance. I think, you know, Rob and I, you've talked about this quite a bit. It's, you know, we, we know where the space came from because we're here in the beginning. And uh, I'm encouraged. I really am. I, I took an, ex you know, kind of did a little bit of a eyeball count here at the show. And there's a lot of women in leadership roles in these companies now more than ever. And uh, that's pretty exciting for me because it, 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 what it really does is it truly diversifies the space and got more room to go for sure, you know, and more time. Yeah, and I'm also seeing um, more women start companies too. You right. know, is a good example of that, um, really pushing the envelope out there and trying to do partnerships and deals, which sometimes is, is difficult to get, uh, you know, established companies to kind of see her vision of what she's trying to build, and I think that's 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 a real glimpse of the innovation that I think women are starting to bring to this medium. And and if you look at the top 200 list of the most popular podcasts, I mean, there's a lot of women on that list that are yep. hosts and and doing producer roles and doing um, you know increasingly contributing to this medium because I think women have the ability to communicate. Um, that's very compatible with this medium, and it's always been the case. I've always been very excited about more women getting involved in this medium because I think it will propel it to another level. Are we ready to move to talk a little bit about advertising? We knew we couldn't get away from that, right? Well, we could a little bit, sure. Let's do that. So, programmatic advertising, that's 
seems like everyone's got it. Do you think that's going to lead to the decline of host red ads? I don't. No. I do both on a few of the shows that I work on. Um, I have a podcast about podcast trailers, and that is all host red ads, and it's actually a unique um, advertising situation because I have um, Focusrite is our presenting sponsor. They're giving away a vocaster on every episode of the show for season one. It's really cool, and people have won them, and they've been super excited about it. And um, for that, we've been doing a quick promo read-up at the top of the show, and then at the end of the show, how to win, right? And then also lots of social media posts around it. Um, it just really trying to encourage people to enter to win this thing that they can win for free, right? So then we also have a few other sponsors that we do short little host, read, host reads for. And the... The um, discussion that I had with my um, sponsors was ahead of time, like, we're not going to specify what these ads are going to look like, but we are going to drive people to you. We're not giving you a guarantee of clicks or whatever, and that's just what we were able to work out. But then for another podcast that I do, which is a podcast about podcast recommendations, I have Spreaker's enabled um, programmatic, and it's fine. Gets me a few dollars here and there. Um, I'm not in love with it. But it is, and I think that th they probably literally have that in a focus group. I'm not yeah. in love with it. I bet they, they've, they've heard that a million times, right? But it, but it works. Yeah. You know, go ahead, Rob. Yeah, I was just going to mention that, you know, I think the bigger picture of advertising and podcasting is that I don't think anybody likes advertising, but I mean, but the whole concept of advertising is to be disruptive, right? Um, and, to, and to deliver a message that's not necessarily the same thing as the content that you're listening to, which will always be disruptive. But I've always had this thought that something eventually was going to replace advertising and podcasting because it doesn't feel like it's a it's a natural thing for podcasts. Um, and I think that there is some development around other models, like what like what Anu is doing right now with her her rewards program, and I know what's happening in the podcasting 2.0 initiative. Uh, with Satoshis and, and those kind of things. And that shows a little bit of a glimpse that maybe there's some alternative ways that we can monetize um, that maybe is more linked to engagement, more linked to connections with audiences, driving value, exchange of value between audiences and the content. And that maybe at some point, I'm, I'm hopeful that at some point we can completely get rid of advertising. You know, if I, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, also collective, I met with um, Marla. Marla the other day, and her business is booming, apparently, with the women advertisers, and also, um, you know, that's a niche that I think many brands are now, like, they realize we are, we make 80% of the consumer decisions, so I want to make a plug for them, and also... Um, Rita Bautista, who's not here at the conference, she's with Latina Podcasters, and she and I talked the day, first day of the conference. I thought she was here, and she wasn't. <laughs> um, and they are doing Spanish content, and apparently there's been a spike um, in, in advertising, and her business is almost purely advertising now. So I think, you know, what I'm going to do with Shikonomy is, like, adapt this for Indian languages and African languages and niche because they're consumers too and nobody's talking to them and many of them can't read. So why not? So that's something that I think is going to be an uptick in emerging markets. As, as I walked around the show and how's business? Yeah. Everybody say, oh, it's good. It's okay. But no one's saying it's great. And <laughs> I'm hearing people, I'm not saying that I feel nervousness in the show, but I think there are concerns on what could potentially happen with the economy. So um, I think that we all have to have a diverse way to earn money for our shows. Um, don't get locked into the advertising piece completely. Have alternate ways to, 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 to support your podcast if that's your goal. Now, again, 50% of shows don't care about making no money, so it's a mute point to have to discuss it. But um, I think diverse a diverse portfolio for your show is a good thing right now. Also, uh, we, no one touched upon this, uh, which is NFTs. And this became really popular, I don't know, six, seven months ago, where podcast art 
the, the artwork could also be an NFT. And I think there was somebody um, that was specifically working on, on how do you create NFTs for um, podcasters and discussions were happening on Clubhouse and so on and so forth. I haven't heard it much at all in this conference, but I know it's still happening. I know it's going to come back eventually um, because that's another way to monetize and be part of some community. So I don't know if you have any comments on that. You know, I think the crypto piece, um, some people are very leery and they're more open to it outside the United States than they are here. So I think as long as we frame the conversation around any type of donation to a show as tokenizing it, um, I think it, it makes it easier. Let's say you're going to buy $20 worth of tokens. Um, you're going to give those tokens, and yeah, they'll end up having a value that are going to uh, increase or decline over time, but those tokens can be given in a an appreciative manner, value for value, and we don't have to worry about it, the investment piece. I think if we stay away from the investment discussion, correct, then you're supporting a show. I'm not necessarily personally a fan of NFTs. I know some people are. But again, I think if we keep it on a token level and not talk about anything about investment, keep that out of the discussion where it's purely listener support, I think the listeners will be more opt opt in and participate in this value for value economy that we're trying to trying to build, at least on the podcasting 2.0 side and some of the stuff you're doing. You know, I also think that podcasting has a history of being a little bit of a slow adopter of new things, generally. Uh, I don't do know, I mean, like Gary Vaynerchuk has been very outspoken about the future of the NFT crypto space. And, I, I th you know, he's always been kind of at the, like, at least three to five years ahead. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's definitely a lot of proponents of what's happening here. I mean, I I buy Bitcoin myself. Um, I'm actively in that area, but I also can see how the industry podcasting might see a little skepticism here. I mean, we as an industry we tend to adopt things that we know are like everybody wants right now and everybody understands right now and. And if we start adopting things that there's like this huge educational curve with, um, it's it's going to be it's going to be slow, but it's also hard to convince people to trust it. And I think that's also one of the things that's held back the NFT stuff is people have perceived it as a little bit of you know I hate to use the word scam, but people have that perception of it, and I'm not sure that it's I don't I don't agree that it's it, that that's an accurate portrayal of it. Um, but I think that that is the perception that people have, and that's what's definitely hold it back. And so I think somehow we need to, like Todd said, it's the terminology that we use. I think the terminology of NFT probably needs to be turned into something that's more friendly for people to understand what it is, um, because right now it it sounds very geeky, and we're <laughs> we're definitely moving away from geeky things in the podcasting space. Yeah. And, and but at the same point, um, there are opportunities in this new. Again, I'm going to keep going back to the term value for value, where it's not always about the amount of money that's being contributed to the show. It's often more about the engagement. So, as an example, if someone sends me, um, for those that are listening and don't know, a hundred millionth of a bitcoin is one satoshi. So if someone sends me a thousand Satoshis, that's like a quarter. You know, that's, it's really not monetarily a lot of money. But if they send me a thousand Satoshis in a, what's called a boost along with a comment, the comment to me is more value than the quarter. Because oftentimes being a podcaster can be pretty lonely. We don't get a lot of feedback from our audience. But if they have this instant way to be, send us a token of appreciation and a comment, it's something that almost carries you, helps you carry your show, make you excited, because you know you, there's someone out there actually listening. So I think it's just, there's many, many layers to this, and I think it's going to take time to get podcasters educated on the value and at the same time be able to educate their audience on these different ways of doing things. But going back to the advertising piece, um, you know, the advertising's, been a mainstay of the space for people, you know, if you're looking to make a lot of money and you have a big show, that's the 
the primary route. Um, not a lot of shows have the the um, ability to just ask, you know, ask their audience, hey, if you got value for this, send me value. Whether it be two, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, one hundred, one thousand dollars, whatever the value is you got out of it. A lot of podcasters have a hard time asking their audience to send them value back for what they produce. So I think if we can get in that mindset a little bit, and it's the same thing with your platform. You're going to need to have the ability to maybe sometime at some point in the future actually have to pay to have delivery of content into those some of those developing countries. And we've seen this in Africa before where people have sponsored for a amount of time to, to get content into devices because, like you said, they don't have a digital market. They don't have a digital data plan. Well, and just the model like what uh, the she economy is doing of essentially paying women to listen to and, yeah. and to get educated. I mean, it, it flips the model on its head. <clears throat> you know? so, so one of the ways this is going to work is you listen, learn, and earn tokens. What happens when the tokens can be used for connectivity? Then you've got something. Then, yeah. you're, then you've given them the on-ramp right. for just survival, right? And, and that currency can also be used for goods in stores like geo stores and other stores where they can buy food and essentials and you can track everything because we built it on the blockchain. So this is something the way that we architected wasn't anything like a Spotify or an right. iHeart. And when we talk to these collaborators and partners, we're not telling you to do it because you'd have to flip, like you said, everything on its head. You have to start from ground zero, which is what we did during COVID because that's what they needed. Yeah, it's exciting. There's it. It's and there's not not one business model for everything. That's that's the best part. Well, that's what's great about <laughs> podcasting. It's a blank canvas. We can do right. whatever we want. Yeah. Um, it's just what people will adopt is the is the challenge. I want to talk a little bit about transcripts um, in regards to what is really be, becoming more mainstream now for podcasts with the ability of the new namespace to to link a transcript. And oftentimes, I've always said that before. For years, people said, well, I put a transcript on my website, I've linked it, I've cut and pasted it on my show notes, and oftentimes, there's been, people just didn't understand what to do with a transcript. Um, I think now with AI and the ability for some of the technology coming out, I think content discovery is going to get better for people being able to discover stuff, because now transcripts are being indexed, and people are going to be able to search for it. So, you know, what's your guys' feeling on how transcripts are doing in the podcasting space? Um, I like AI. Uh, and what we're building on our new Android version that I was working on till 5 in the morning yesterday is there. there's going to be advanced search features uh, for all of our podcasts that are on our platform. And again, um, we're talking to people here like Pod Podium and Capshow and, and so on and so forth. And in terms of production, like, would there be a way to integrate what they're doing? Um, I personally, like, I'm going to start a podcast called The State of Women. Robin and I have talked about this for a while now. It's going to happen. And I'm excited to see that I don't have to do my own show notes anymore. And if I can embed that with the tech that we've already built, then beautiful. But this is, like, with uh, something GPT. Podium GPT is what he's launching. Um, if people haven't seen that booth, they sh you should check it out because he's offering like free um, trials for like six hours so you can play with it. And you never know, like this could maybe save you tons of time and more advanced search capability. Well, we're getting down here near the end, Rob. Do you want to cover this last topic or are we going to pull the plug here and with the recording today or what? Uh, what's your thoughts? Well, I think we can... We I mean, I think we have time to maybe talk about a couple things, but, um, you know, I think that they, we've seen, you know, the Spreaker announcement that happened around, um, you know, converting to free hosting uh, for, for shows um, that, and basically opening up the monetization um, for, for shows through the programmatic side. And I think it's an interesting kind of touchstone of, um, of where we are as far as um, trying to grow shows and to grow the monetization of shows. And, and Todd, I know you've been a big proponent of this for a long time of <clears throat> going wide with advertising 
And certainly, programmatic has the opportunity to get more revenue into more shows. And and I mean, Todd and Ariel um, in a new. What do you guys think about where we are with monetizing through the programmatic platforms? I'm just curious. <laughs> I think it's uh, bridge money. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think everybody needs to be monetizing. Um, yeah. I think I spoke with somebody at the conference who was like, I have 100 downloads per episode. When do I start monetizing? And I was like, you don't. Right. <laughs> you, you wait. Because right now you're going to be bothering the shit out of 100 people. Right. For, you don't, you're going to get pennies. Yeah, you're First of all, you can't. I mean, there's <clears throat> just so many things. Um, but yeah, I think just it's a little bit dangerous that like anybody can turn on the ability to monetize yeah. right away when, well. you know, if your show is not super high quality it's not super entertaining there's so many that are similar to it why would they listen to one that has advertising that is programmatically yeah. inserted that might not be anything to do with what they're interested in you know in theory it should yeah. be a little bit close to what they're interested in yeah. but you never know when you could instead i don't know focus on building your audience maybe once you have 500 downloads per episode you go after you ask the people who are most mm -hmm. active, what brands they would like to hear about or what, what categories they would like to hear about. And then you can go after those sponsors specifically. Or uh, you can go after local sponsors. I, I, think, um, I think programmatic is great for some levels of creators, but not every level, even though it's easy. I think it's all about choice on our platform. Like you are in control and whatever you want distributed that's my job is to get you listeners and likes, shares, and follows. So please let us help you make more money and you figure out how you're going to do it. I think some, there's been this new expectation set by some of the platforms that are out there that were monetizing shows from day one. And, you know, it's true. Harry, they weren't making very much, a buck 58 a month or, you know, $2. You know, making very small amounts of money because the shows are very, very small. And. Right. So I think there could be a, a, I think you're right, Ariel, maybe some show should wait. But boy, I tell you, it's one of those things that podcasters love to be able to say, my, yeah. my show's monetized, yeah. um, and often make their shows appear bigger than they are. So I don't know. I think there's a, I think the at least there's an opportunity there. For so many years, we had no opportunities for content creators to make money through uh, through advertising, and uh, at least now there is some options available for smaller shows. And again, I think it's bridge money. It gets them to the point where they can can grow their show. I, I think um, a, a better option for creators who have very small shows, but they want to make it look like they have bigger shows by way of monetization is affiliate marketing. I think it lets them play around a little bit more with the host red ad idea. Um, maybe they'll make some conversions. Mm -hmm. If they do make conversions, they'll know what they should potentially go after for a more integrated type of advertising partnership. I agree with you there as well. Yeah, and I think that there is a danger um, of shows utilizing this technology and overloading their shows with too much ads, trying to, trying to make more money. Um, right. I saw this early when I was working with kind of more automated advertising as well, um, that the shows, you know, it's a cumulative effect, right? So each ad that you run basically is a multiple to your CPM that you're earning off of this. So it's it's real tempting to put, you know, eight or ten um, programmatic ads in your show or something like that. For and that pennies. may be just yeah. <laughs> a crazy amount of ads. Uh, and I think that's that's one of the danger zones. Yeah, I had a vendor here talk with me about putting in seven mid-roll spots. And I'm like, <laughs> that's too much. I said, that's, that's radio, you know, and we don't need to be radio. We have to, the thing that's made podcasting unique is to be able to engage audiences and have discussions without huge commercial interruptions. And uh, mm. if you put a, too many commercial interruptions in there, you will interrupt their flow and they will hit stop and they will go away and they will not come back. I think that's part of the problem of what's been happening in in uh, regional platforms where they have turned podcasting into radio. And I think that's why you're not seeing an uptick uh, as easy because they are losing, losing people that way. Yeah, some countries definitely have a radio-first approach to podcasting. 
Uh, not every place, but a lot of countries outside the United States, for sure, it's more radio first. That's right. I wanted to mention, and we can probably wrap it up, um, was this, this, this development that uh, podcasting conferences are going to be coming more and more to your locale. And I think maybe we mentioned this on the past, past episode, but I just wanted to mention it again. But um, PodFest is going to be doing a bunch of um, regional um, events. So, you know, be looking for that in podnews.net or whatever, what uh, newsletter that you read uh, for a potential coming podcasting conference in your market. Um, because also Pod News Live is going to be doing uh, local events all around the world in various cities around the world. These are typically one-day type of events or maybe, maybe one-and-a-half-day type of events. So, you know, those that can't make it to the big conferences like Podcast Movement in Denver might be able to go to a local one. And I think we're seeing a lot of uh, local podcasting conferences start to pop up, too, um, I'm seeing a lot up in the Northeast that are coming up in the next three to four months. Um, so, so I think that there's alternatives. I heard about one coming up in Mexico City. Yeah, it's was in partnership with the Podcast Academy. Yeah. Correct. And also uh, London. I, I keep seeing blasts on my Facebook. I don't know if you're getting those blasts. The Podcast Show London. Yeah, yeah. yeah the Podcast Show London. Are you going? Mm-hmm. And then there's also a show, uh, there's a show happening April 29th in Portland, Oregon called PodConf. Um, run by run by Pat Chomp. Yeah, I, I don't love the name, but they're doing what they got to do. Um, yeah, so that one's going to be great. It's uh, capped at 150 people. The goal is to really have it be a learning experience, also a day long. And then there's another one happening in Austin that I know about right before Podcast Movement in Denver um, called Pod ATX Fest. And one more thing. There were actually two more things. The one was in India when I landed. I didn't even know that they had. They have a huge community now. Um, awards and things like that. So they had their own like awards show, but that was like for Indian podcasters. And then Dubai has also picked up um, a PodFest Dubai. It's called PodFest. Yeah, right. Is I it linked to that. the Chris Kermitzel? No, I don't think he has anything. But there will be a big announcement coming soon from Chris at PodFest, but we can't go into that detail now. I'll see how I'm a tease. So let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, Ariel, how can they reach out to you if, if they if they want to touch base with you, the listeners of the show? Google my name, Ariel Nissenblatt. I'm the only one. Anu, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, please find us on any social economy. It's spelled S-H-E-Q-O-N-O-M-I. We're the only one spelled funky like that. And Rob? Yeah, I can be found on Twitter as well at Rob Greenley, and uh, I have a website, robgreenley.com. And if you want to send me an email, I'm more than happy to hear from you. Uh, Rob G at podbean.com. So I'm Todd at blueberry.com, and of course at Geek News on Twitter. We want to thank all of you that have uh, attended today, and those of you that are listening to the podcast on demand. We've been once again here live at the New Media Show at Podcast Movement. We won't be, I'll say that backwards, right? We've been at Podcast Movement <laughs> Evolutions, and this has been New Media Show Live. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time on the New yep. Media Show. Thanks. Thank you all Thank for you. having us. Right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.